everybody. We're back. Uh, we've had some really silly, fun episodes recently, and this one is going to be different. It's a learning episode. It's very serious. Uh, trigger warning. There is sexual assault mentioned um, and systematic racism and all that terrible stuff. So brace yourself, but it's very important to listen to. We're going to be talking to Michelle Hope, who is a sexologist and activist. Um, this was two weeks ago. It was right after I had um, gone to the Trans Liberation March in New York City uh, with Ben. We were handing out sex toys. Our friend Sean Walters was there taking pictures, um, and he introduced me and Michelle because he was like, you need to have this woman on the podcast. So we did, and it was the greatest time. Uh, learn so much. Um, also, if anybody uh, is curious about donating to Beirut, um, because we haven't really talked about the explosion there. Uh, it was catastrophic. It was really horrible, uh, still is for a lot of people. So if you want to donate and help out, um, Gabrielle says only to donate to the Lebanese Red Cross. Um, apparently other charities are the government or funds that will never make it anywhere, um, which is sad, but apparently true. So Lebanese Red Cross, if you want to help out. Um, I also just wanted to say, speaking of charity, thanks to everybody who showed up today to our Zoom uh, Cozy Comedy Hour uh, that benefited the Okra Project. It was so much fun. Um, and you guys all, you got to laugh, but also donate to a great cause. Uh, so thank you for being there. How come? How come? How come I can't achieve? How come I can't achieve? I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm rolling up my sleeves. Oh, baby, I believe these guests can help. Cause I can't do it by myself. I wanna just. You guys, this week we have a very awesome guest. Uh, Michelle Hope is a dedicated sexologist, educator, and activist with over 15 years of experience delivering impactful, informative lectures and training across the nation. Her work in marginalized urban communities has provided her with deep insight and comprehension of the holistic implications of sexuality on one's personal life. She's dedicated her career to understanding and communicating to the masses the complex intersections of various social identities, race, gender, class, and sexual orientation through a reproductive justice lens. Michelle feels as though her experience in working with marginalized urban communities and understanding holistic sexuality has shaped her perspectives on the direct connections between sexuality and generational poverty in these communities. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of words. Michelle Hope, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for, for bringing me on. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Of course. And I found out about you through my friend, Sean Walters, who is an amazing photographer in New York City. And he's been photographing a lot of marches, a lot of protests. And I believe he saw you speak there or you guys met there. And he was like, you need to have this woman on. She's incredible. Oh, yes. Yes. We did meet at a march. And, and you know, we've become friends. Uh, we mm -hmm. see each other at marches. We text about how the marches went. Uh, mm -hmm. And we saw he's a great guy really artistic and really i think i think people like john are important to the movement mm -hmm. uh, because they capture it through their art yeah from behind the lens you have an ability to see so many different things that people who are actively on the ground or people who might be behind the scenes never get to see so it's a beautiful thing mm -hmm. and he's there all the time and i think protests are something that we saw for maybe a month in the news um, they're still actively going on, but the mainstream media really isn't covering them. So I just kind of wanted to speak to you about what still is going on and what people can still do to help the movement go forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
one of the reasons we've seen uh, a lessening of the protests or a lessening of coverage on protests is because to some extent the media was spinning a narrative that that in some spaces was like violent mm-hmm. and we know that the media wants things sensational sensationalized and they've really been very very peaceful at least here in new york yeah there have been a few like run-ins with police there have been a few incidences however for the most part the majority are incredibly peaceful and you're really seeing community come together mm-hmm. um Right now, and, and you know, I know this will air after this, but currently there are still marches going on every day, almost in every borough. There is a vibrant community of young people who are continuing to be on the front lines, on the ground, uh, working collectively mm-hmm. to continue the conversation by having these these sit-ins, these vigils, these marches. You know, I just was in Brooklyn the other day and they do a nightly vigil at 7 p.m. where they allow people to talk about what's going on. They have speakers that can educate people as to what the laws are, what legislation needs to change. They have people coming to register voters. Mm-hmm. So I think first and foremost, what people can do, make sure you're registered to vote. Yeah. That it doesn't matter where you are in the country, get your ballots in. Uh, make sure you're registered if you're going to do absentee and then educate yourself to who is on the down ballot ticket. Mm-hmm. So not just the president, not just Joe or Don, <laughs> but who is your senator? Who is representing your House of Representatives? And you know what, child, I'll be telling people, I'm going to need you to vote all the way down to the school board superintendent. I don't give a damn if you have kids or not. If you live in a community where you have a school and you are a homeowner. Yeah. Studies show that communities with higher graduation rates have lower incidences of violent crime. Mm-hmm. So there's a direct correlation for anybody in a community that has a school to get involved. So vote all the way down the ticket. Totally. And that's really important too. like just for the general idea of access. Yep. Whenever people say, oh, what about black on black crime or what about the looting and what about the rioting and stuff? I'm like, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. But second of all, if you really are focused on crime, if you really are focused on people not growing up the wrong way, then help them grow up the right way. Yep. And that starts with something as small as abortion, as small, but as beginning stages of abortion access. Right. If there is somebody who doesn't want a child, do not force that person to have a child, you know, have access to have them have the ability to choose when they want to have a child, when they're going to invest money and time into growing a good person, if that's what you're really concerned about. Yep. I really appreciate you say that because, you know, the core and foundation of my work is rooted in reproductive justice, which was coined by Sister Song in 1994. And just what you said there, Mm -hmm. the main principles of reproductive justice is that every person the human right, if one they want to have a baby and how she will have that baby and the conditions under which she will bring that baby into the world through birth Mm -hmm. Two, decide if she does not want a baby um, and the options that people have to preventing or ending a pregnancy. And then three, and this is really key, right? It's not just about access to abortion. Um, It is also about allowing people Uh, the opportunity to parent children they already have in a safe social environment with necessary support systems as well as healthy communities without fear of violence from individuals or government. And we know we don't have that. So if somebody wants to say, oh, what about the black on black crime? 
just throw them back to reproductive justice. Yeah. Because if, if you hear about reproductive justice, and you're right, unpacking black on black crime, it, to me, is an excuse that white people use uh, to turn a blind eye to the situation. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, it's, There's it's, a lot of white on white crime, too. It's come on, talk about basically it. because people, they commit crimes with people that they know. And because of a lot of redlining, a lot of people in similar communities live in similar places. Yep. And so that's why those crimes are. Ha- it's not because like it goes back to this sensationalized idea of like, oh, I'm so scared of black people. They're all criminals. They're all this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of white on white crime. There's a lot of Asian on Asian crime. There's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, it, it, indigenous or um, it, American Indian crime on crime. So that that's just bullshit. People love crime. Hello? They just do crimes to whoever's nearest. Exactly. So we can't really look at it as black on black because no, that's just silly. And there's also like the narrative of like the deadbeat black father that's like, oh, well, if he was around, these kids wouldn't. First of all, how many babies are being had where white parents are leaving? Also, we don't think about the systematic incarceration of black men who are getting taken away from their homes. It's not that they left. It's that they did something super, maybe tiny. Maybe it's weed. There are so many men and women still in prison for weed, something that I do out in the open every fucking day. Yep. And and I think it's 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 weed or it's it's kind of like uh, George Floyd. Yeah, they were taken way too soon. Yeah, from this world, and now is Brianna that that person that's well? If her dad had stayed around, her dad didn't have an option. And unfortunately, it's like that for a high number mm-hmm. of African American men. They're they're not leaving by choice. Mm. It's usually by force. Yeah. And we've been seeing a lot of these conversations with specifically black parents about having the talk Mm -hmm. with their kids about going out into the world and being safe, just living as a black person. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because on this show, we always talk about having the talk as like the sexual talk. Yeah. Why is it so important to look at your work through a reproductive lens? Well, I think the reason it is so important is because of things like intersectionality, Mm -hmm. right? I cannot separate my blackness from me being a female. And when when we think about things like the talk uh, in black communities, usually it is about engaging police. I think for far too long, we have not included the conversation around the talk that we see in white communities, which is usually identified as something around sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we have to learn we have to do both um, because it doesn't necessarily do anybody any favors by just doing one. However, when you are a black person in America, you're just trying to live. We're not Mm -hmm. thinking about pregnancy. We're not thinking like think about it like pleasure. None of that, because you think about it like this. If your stomach is empty, all you're thinking about is filling your stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not thinking about, is my hair done? Is it, am I bathed correctly? Mm-hmm. So in the same instance, when, when as black Americans, we are just trying to live and yeah. survive. We don't really have the luxury of having the conversation of all these other topics, but that is something I am very adamant about. And I think that sex education is something that should be mandated um, federally mm-hmm. in a way that's culturally competent age appropriate and inclusive. And I do think that it should have um, a a framework that includes pleasure. That's my life's work is eventually seeing that it becomes mandated. 
Yeah, I, I, we talk about like, when is the right time to like talk to a kid about sex? And one of your um, answers that was on, I think it was BET, and you were just talking about like, kids are masturbating early. Yeah. Like, and it's not even sexual to them at that point. So to shame them for doing something that's just kind of like self healing mm -hmm. is like the craziest thing. And you mentioned, you were like, baby boys jack off in the womb. Yep. Or, you know, babies with penises jack off in the womb. I'm sure babies with vulvas do it too. Yeah, you know, we're humping pillows. At least I was as yeah. a young person. And, you know, in my work, I often, when I work with parents, I say, you know, you've gone to the park and you've seen the, the little girl standing over the water fountains, yeah. just standing there. Um, you know, they're uh. doing that. <laughs> exactly. It feels good. Now, they're not orgasming. They don't climax. Children don't climax, but they know it feels good. And it's a part of natural and healthy sexual development. And it also is about body exploration. So to my, my answer to when is the right time, you start teaching about sexuality and body autonomy before mm -hmm. children have words, because you have to really ingrain in them that their body is their body and nobody should touch yeah, it without permission. One of my favorite things on TikTok, still not banned, um, but is this trend of moms holding their kids. And it's like people being like, how come you won't let me hug your kid? Like, who told you you could do that? And it's like, I did. Have you seen that one? Where it's like, I was raised hugging people that I didn't want to and being forced to do that and yep. give this guy a kiss on the cheek. And it's like, no, but you're instructed from a young age that it's like, you're cute. People want to hug you, you hug them. And it's like, we, we need to t teach right. the opposite of that. Totally, because what people don't understand is when you do that, at that age, it programs them to kind of subconsciously believe that if there is a, a authority figure or someone of greater power than them, mm -hmm. maybe someone older, maybe, I don't know, a boyfriend or, or, or maybe has social mm -hmm. power um, that's a little bit higher, they will then believe that they can be told what to do sexually or what to give me a kiss or no, 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 no. We got to cut all yeah. that shit out, like throw that out the window. Um, because it's important, and I say this too to parents, if your child doesn't want to give Uncle Larry a hug, don't make him give Uncle Larry a hug. They probably got an inner uterine or an inner scrotum yeah. sense <laughs> saying something wrong with Uncle Larry. Yeah. Okay? So you got to just, you, you can't, you can't do that. The child's body is the child's body. And I just, a lot of this is rooted mm -hmm. in patriarchy and the idea that, whether you are a wife or a child, you are a property of someone versus your own being. You used to be legally able to rape your wife. Yeah, that's unfortunate. There are still some states that actually um, have some laws that still have some protections around that. Oh, wonderful. Let's not tell anybody where they are in case anybody's right. listening and trying to do that. Yeah. Um, don't do that. But sexuality no. is healthy and awesome yeah. and fabulous. And like, you know, it's, it should be celebrated. I always say from the womb to the tomb, sexuality is a part of your everyday life. That could look like the activism stuff that mm -hmm. I do um, currently. That could look like teaching your child body autonomy. That could look like fighting for equal pay yeah. and fighting the wage gap. And that also could look like busting a good ass nut because <laughs> all of this is a part of sexuality and sexuality is a part of what makes us human, mm -hmm. right? 
So, so it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's all over the place. It can be good. It can be bad, but oftentimes it's ugly mm-hmm. because we're not having enough conversations and we're not normalizing conversations around sexuality, gender norms, gender expression, masturbation, female pleasure. Right. Yeah. You have a whole book called the girl's guide to sex education. Um, yeah. And it's been very helpful for people, hasn't it? It has been. And ironically enough, it was written for young people. Mm-hmm. But I get a lot of comments from adult women who are like, I did not know this. Mm-hmm. And how this book could have changed my perspective, how this book could have changed my life mm-hmm. had I had access to this information. So that just kind of goes back to sex education. But yeah, I get a lot of adults that'll be like, Girl, that book, I didn't know some of that. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Okay, we have great. the same response to this podcast, which always overwhelms me when uh, season one, we had a couple on the wife, Tony, had never had an orgasm until listening to the podcast. She was 50 years old and she finally did it. And I was like, oh my God. Like it's, it's also, it's never too late. And a lot of people, um, whether it's with their own sexuality or whether it's like changing to like another job or something. Like I used to be like, it's too late to start comedy. Like I'm too old or something like that. Like it's never too late to keep living your life in a more elevated, fulfilling way than you were before. Like 50, there's, there's 40 more years after that. Like I would want them filled with cum. Yeah. As they should be. Um, I think, you know, when you look at someone mm-hmm. that's that age, cause I've had a lot of adult women, say things like that to me, it's rooted in shame. And again, this idea of what is virtue. Yeah. And again, rooted in the fucking patriarchy. Like what is virtue? Make sure you're being demure. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this idea of fragility. Um, and, and, and I think that's so silly also because we're not teaching women to self-pleasure, they never explore their bodies, so they don't even know their bodies. Mm-hmm. I always be telling people, honey, if you don't know how to get yourself off, mm. how you tell somebody else? How are you going to instruct somebody to do it? I thought they all, like, just knew things and they were just going to do stuff to us, and, like, it's, like, the worst way to learn. It's totally the worst way to learn, one, and two, that is objectifying men at the same yeah. fucking time. Being like, Men always know what the moves they should put on. All men are horny. All men. That is fucked up. Yeah. It's just setting really negative double standards. Women should not know, but men should know. But then you're supposed to save yourself to a marriage and all of a sudden bust a pussy wide open. I don't know how that works. (laughs) That's not logical. Yeah. It, it, It doesn't make sense. I was more just trying to be like a really good hole. Oh, that's, I mean, vibrators can do that too. Um, yeah, <laughs> Benoit balls can do that too. Um, yeah. Now, even though I'm a sexologist, I don't want to sit mm-hmm. here and act like I'm like such a think piece when it comes to having intercourse with a partner. Like, oh, what do you like? What do you not like? Like, yeah. I, I preach this. And while I do try in various mm-hmm. ways to communicate my wants, my wants and my boundaries prior to sex. I actively try to communicate, not just before, not after, but also during. And that can, Mm -hmm. even for me, somebody who studies sexuality, it's not always the most comfortable, but I have found that when I do it, you know, I have better sex. Here's an interesting story. Speaking of, I did an experiment one summer while I was dating 
where I would go on these dates and I would be super hot and really attracted to the person. And then before, like, you know, you feel it, like Mm -hmm. you feel like you want to kiss or you feel like you want to make that connection. I would ask for consent if I could kiss them. Nice. And do you know how many, I think I did this like to four people. You know, only one person said yes. Everybody else told me I killed the mood. (gasps) And it, it it, it deeply troubled me. And I was a grown up. Whoa. And it wasn't like, yeah. I was like, stop, let me, can I kiss you? I did it kind of sexy, you know? I yeah. Was yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd really like to kiss you right now. Would that be okay? Almost in a coquettish kind of, yeah. like consent can be sexy. And yeah. I, had one, I had one look at me like, well, didn't that just kill the mood? I don't know why you would ask. And then that just made me be like, well, this isn't somebody I'm calling back because this is the type of person who's going to stick a finger in your butthole without asking. Okay. <laughs> Literally. Yep. It is a good litmus test to be like, is this person somebody who thinks consent is like a weird, silly joke right. or somebody who thinks it's like an important conversation? And I, I sometimes feel on this podcast that I'm like, ugh, I don't want to like be a mood killer because like I've been in a relationship this whole time when I tell our listeners, you know, like you have to ask for stuff and you have to whatever. I'm like, am I setting up difficult parameters for them? Am I going to make it so nobody's ever going to want to fuck them again? And I think it's like, no. I mean, I, 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 I would, I would say no. I would say that yeah. this is the mindset that I'm talking about. We absolutely have to change. I am not only, I mean, I, I'm, I don't identify as a survivor. I identify as a rape thriver. I've experienced mm-hmm. sexual assault and the term survivor never really felt right to me yeah. uh, because while it was a terrible experience and I had to do a lot of work to get beyond it, I've now been able to apply that experience in a way that helps others. So in my mind, I'm thriving and mm-hmm. thriving looks mm-hmm. different for all people. Some people thriving is just getting out of bed and maintaining um, like self-care. For others, it might be writing a book about your experience or testifying against Brett Kavanaugh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. But for me, you know, when I think about people who think asking for consent is off, to me, that that can be a trigger and that could put me in danger. Because, I mean, I have PTSD because of my experience with assault. And this isn't to take this conversation to a dark space, but I just want all your listeners to know you're not alone. Yeah. And if you, if you do experience PTSD or you have triggers, you really, to have great sex, you got to be able to tell your partner like, Hey, I have a trigger and I want to have a little freak out on you because all of a sudden you stuck your finger in my butthole and we didn't talk about that mm-hmm. ever. And I'm not saying before every sex, you have to make a conversation to set some boundaries, set some, say, I really liked it when you did this, always reward, like, like give accolades for good stuff, right? Positive reinforcement. Totally. I mean, you have the right to be like, I did not like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, no, you definitely me. have the gonna... right to say, I'm not in this. I would say even take it a step further. You need to be with somebody who's not going to freak out over the word trigger. Exactly. Exactly. Like there are so many people and I have a friend who is a survivor um, and she had a conversation with somebody recently that she, they were watching a movie where there was an assault going on and she was like, I don't think I can watch these types of movies because it triggers me. And he kind of made fun of Kick the that. word trigger. Kick that motherfucker to the curb. I mean, I can't say mm-hmm. that I'm not in her relationship. I'm not 
You know, she did. He's he's out. I told I was like out, out. That just seems to me like it could be dangerous, you know, and not just physically. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking of physical danger. I'm really thinking about mental and emotional danger. Yeah. That, that you know, the body does. There's a great book called The Body Doesn't Forget Trauma. Um, mm. And I think that's what it's called. I might have gotten it a little wrong. But that being said, somebody saying that to you could trigger something, a memory, and it just replays every time you see them. So that kind of stuff, you got to get rid of that. That 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 sounds like, that sounds no good. That's no bueno. Yeah. Anybody also who doesn't take like a very serious thing to you seriously, it's like, okay, no, thank you. Yeah. Doesn't feel safe. And a lot of times those people will prey on people that they're like, oh, this person's a weak person. They've already been through this. I'll be able to manipulate them more. Yep, exactly. Just don't let that continue. You can't. You got to nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. Um, but while we're talking about trauma, mm -hmm. I was listening to a really great um, podcast a few years ago, and I've recommended it on this one before. Um there are two women doing work um, and their name is Afrosexology. Yep. And um, they discussed with my friend Evian Whitney about generational trauma, yep. specifically within the black community. Yep. Um, and I, I would love if you could speak to that and kind of the unlearning that has to happen there. Yeah, I think, you know, all the people you just named are fabulous. Um, one thing for me in my work and, and the spaces I move in, we know that trauma can be passed down through generation uh, on genetic coding. So there's that, so that's one part. Secondarily, we also know that people with uteruses and ovaries mm -hmm. are born with all of their eggs, which means they're born with the genetic coding for their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. If you are living in a space where there is trauma filling your entire world, right? Um, while you're pregnant, I mean, that is a really strong imprint on that code. Mm -hmm. And then once you are born, we have to remember that our behavior is not inert. It is learned. So all of the baggage that comes from the generations before is often passed down through words, through culture, through actions, through behaviors, through narratives that are probably or may or may not be relevant today. So this idea mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I'll give you one, my mother, my mother's a feminist lesbian. Mm -hmm. She also is a man hater. Okay. Okay. And she would always be like, I think my sex talk was get yours and get out. I should also <laughs> preface with the fact that I'm biracial. Mm -hmm. So my mother is a white feminist from the seventies. So trust and believe we have butted, butted heads. heads many times. Yeah. Many. It's even, even this week, uh, we butted heads. Mm -hmm. But this idea that like, men ain't shit, Michelle. You better take care of yourself, Michelle. Um, that was her experience with her father. She's just projecting mm. her own undealt with trauma. So there's the genetic coding part, right? Mm -hmm. And then there is um, the, the historic part that gets passed down through stories and, and through being indoctrinated to believe you have to behave a certain way or this being indoctrinated with what I would call a fixed mindset mm -hmm. around sexuality and relationships. And then 
throw on that religion in church and bada bing, bada boom. You got all the trauma and shame one could carry in a yeah. Louis Duffy, right? <laughs> and it just weighs us down. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna catch that bus. Erica Badu was right, honey. You got to let some of that go. That is why I'm a huge, huge like advocate for mental health and mm-hmm. really doing work with a professional. It's difficult for black women and black men because hmm, only like 5% of the mental health community here that are clinical and licensed in the United States are African-American and only 2% are psychiatrists. Mm. So it, it, it just is this kind of, it's like these cycles. There are so many things that are, it's, it's, we could look at one problem. But then we have to look at all the problems, this all the systems around it that continue that have fed into it. Yes, and continue yeah. to maintain that problem, whatever it may be. Yeah. Especially if we're looking at like a safe space where you can feel good with your emotions. Like I don't imagine there's a place where somebody could go to a therapist as a black person and the therapist is white and you're just like, okay, so you're gonna explain how I feel to me without knowledge of what it's like living and not to say like you need to be similar to your therapist, but a lot of people at least project a similarity onto their therapists um, so that it can feel like I'm normal. I like my therapist had um, a client that she was like, yeah, she assumed I was gay the whole time because she's gay. And I always let her assume that because it, you know, you know, let us have a uh, camaraderie. About some trans counter transference there, yeah. But you know what's that's literally what you're saying. Like she just kind of let her assume, mm-hmm. but but it's like it's harder to be like, yeah. I assume that that person knows what I've been through, even though they've never grown up in a similar skin color, right? And now imagine I have experienced a lot of trauma. We don't have enough days in the week to unpack all of that. But I will tell you a quick therapy story because I know what it. Right. Yeah. So I've been going to this therapist for a while. She was really, really good. Um, We were trying to work through some of the the trauma I've experienced when it comes to uh, sexual assault. And I'm just, you know, free flowing like I'm doing right now. All of a sudden, this woman burst into tears and I had to hand (gasps) Kleenex box. And so when you think about how traumatic that experience is, like, Listen, lady, I'm paying you to help me figure this out. And here I am consoling you because you can't even handle what my reality is. Yeah. So I think that, and, and God love her. We worked together for a very long time. She she really helped me in a lot of- You started counseling her. <laughs> I mean, it was, she did help me in a lot of spaces. The issue was, was that she just couldn't grasp the, the mm-hmm. many levels of trauma that I have been through being a biracial, um, mm-hmm. gr- a biracial cisgendered woman from Indiana who grew up in a trailer park, who's experienced sexual assault, been homeless, was a stripper for seven years. It was just, she was like, girl, this too much. She couldn't, she couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's too many things for the main character. You need to make her more basic. <laughs> Right. And, 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 and so, you know, I, I, I wear all of those scars like because mm-hmm. I've earned every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just try to sit in this space that, well, I'm not perfect. And I probably still have a lot of actually probably I have a lot of work to continue to do. 
I love myself and I'm pretty okay with who I am. I can, I'll rock mm-hmm. me. I'll kick it with me. <laughs> Speaking of uh, healing and learning from uh, people that are similar to you, <clears throat> Michelle, it's so interesting to listen to you speak because um, I don't think I've ever experienced, uh, like I also work in sex education. I've never experienced hearing another sex educator, sex professional speak in a way that was so familiar to mm. me. I'm like really going through it over here right now. I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm at home. Oh. Like, um, and it's uh, uh it's a. Uh, it's so important. It's so important. And I, I would love if you could speak to what do you? I, I know I find myself, especially when I'm working with um, people from my in groups, right? So other Black folks or other Jewish folks. Like I, I, I find myself code switching in certain ways um, for them, mm-hmm. so that I'm able to deliver in a way because of how we're raised and conditioned. Mm-hmm the delivery has to be different, Mm. right? And I almost find that working with other Black folks, it's a thicker wall that I have to get through. Um, I don't know if that's your experience. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. And a part (laughs) of the reason why is because the trauma has began so early. The skin of our population, and this is not to say we're strong, because I hate it when people say that. We're still mushy inside, mm-hmm. but we've just... Yeah, I hate that. Too. To, it's, a de- it's super dehumanizing. Yeah, yeah I hate, like, I, you don't need therapy. You're fine. Child. And, and ironically enough, as a Black woman, um, I have a lot of Black men who think they're, like, complimenting me, because, mm. you know, I've been marching all summer, and they're like, Michelle, how do you do it? You're such a strong woman. Oh, my God. How do you, it's like, motherfucker, your black ass ain't out there. So guess what? Hello. I gotta keep showing up. Well, thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> don't call me strong. Take your ass out there so I can take a break. But that's neither here nor there. And I don't want to be man shaming. That's not what I'm doing because there's a lot of trauma, I think, in some of my circles as to why they're not getting out there. Right. That's not an invitation for other folks to, you know, who are not black to chime in about black men and how they choose to be active or not. Right, because this is this is this is trauma, just like marching is. So when I speak to my community, and even when you go through this podcast, you're gonna see I started off very conservative. So there's a couple things I want to unpack here. First and foremost, because of the way I look, I am often hypersexualized. Mm. Um, I am oftentimes when I tell somebody what it is I do, they immediately go to the genital act, and they're like, I literally have had. People say, usually black people, black men say to me, how many, I lit, I can tell you, I had one man look at me one time and say, how many dicks did you have to suck to get that job? Whoa. I have built up my own thick skin because interestingly enough, it's usually at a happy hour at a bar or something like that. They'll say really derogatory shit and try to hit on me. And then a few drinks in, all of a sudden, they're self-disclosing that they were sexually assaulted as children. Yeah. That part, that part, <sighs> and in Black communities, we rarely let women heal. Mm-hmm. We rarely acknowledge, and you can look at the studies. They, no one, Def- definitely not Black men. Definitely not Black men. I had a student once tell me, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this, in a class, say to me, and this is working with uh, overage, undercredited youth in the inner city. He said, 
well, and this has happened so many times, it's really difficult. It's very hard to swallow because you have to pivot so quickly. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, um, I was once raped, but my PE teacher told me that since my dick got hard, uh, it wasn't considered rape. Oh, no. I mean, this this shit is deep, 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 deep. Or like, I've been in class where I was teaching classes and I really explained to them what consent is, what affirmative consent is. And all of a sudden, young people don't have a filter. So I would get a young man in the back of the class that would say, oh, well, that's happened to me. And then immediately you could watch them turn and see them recognize, oh uh -huh. my God, I've been sexually assaulted. And you would just see them, th their body language would change. And so- Go inside. Yeah, so I've had to find- Ugh. Working with youth is very difficult for that specific reason. Uh, that happens, you know, it happens, especially if you're an educator who works specifically with youth. I've seen it happen too. And you know, sometimes they don't say during, sometimes they come up to you after. They're like, hey, I think that happened to me. Or even sometimes um, talking about consent and assault, um, you know, I've had kids come up to me and say, I think maybe I assaulted someone. Yep. Didn't know that I did that. Yep. Yep. And, and so, you know, I have learned when you talk about this, a way to communicate in this code shifting, sometimes you have to code shift within your own code. Yeah. So from going from the teacher, uh, like this one kid's, mm, because you do no harm, just like a therapist. Number one job, yes. no harm. So when Absolutely. situations arise and a student discloses in class, I have to be able to pivot attention away from that student immediately. Immediately, yeah. Onto the next subject while at the same time affirming that I heard them. Holding space for them. But yeah. you have, but these are teens, so you have to pivot quick. And I'll never forget in this one class, I pivoted really quickly. I let the class, you know, start talking about something else because they didn't catch it the same way I did because I'm looking out. Mm -hmm. They're not seeing everything. And I had to just walk up to the student while they're doing a little group work. I got down on my knee. I said, yo, I want to let you know I see you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I am sorry that that happened to you. It is not your fault. You are not alone. And I am always here to talk. Because with young people, when we think about do no harm, I'm not here to pick and probe and prod, especially in New York where yeah. minors have a right to confidentiality. They know I'm here. So you have to, I get, I hit them with the humor, right? Because these are tough topics and laughter can lighten things. Not laughing at people, not laughing at situations. Mm -hmm. Laughter with like, we got through that, right? And then there is this space where it's, I'm always here for you. You can talk to me. But then there's a firm, I call it firm, firm with warmth. We don't play that. We're not calling nobody no bitches. We're not calling nobody no hoes. We're not, we not uh, slut shaming. Mm -hmm. We're not, um, we're not homophobic. And I taught a lot of Muslim kids, mm. which child, now you got to go through that kind of cultural competency there. And then I also, when I'm in environments, I try to remember that I am neo-indigenous. In other words, I might be a black woman, but I didn't grow up in Harlem. So if I'm teaching in Harlem, I really got to let them be the leaders of this learning. I can give you the expertise on subject matter, but you have to teach me what works mm -hmm. for your life. Yeah. Am I am I yeah. not the way that makes sense? I hope I'm still resonating with you, dear. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, as an educator, you're always pivoting and learning. You have to be able to be teachable in order to teach. Yep. Right.
we could talk about the fact that nobody talks about sexual assault in LGBTQ communities. Mm-hmm. We rarely hear about that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's because they're like, oh, that doesn't happen in their communities. And it's like, what? Of course it does. Rates of intimate partner terrorism, um, rates of sexual assault, those all occur in those spaces, but oftentimes they go unreported because of people's fear of being shamed or not believed. Mm-hmm. And and this really takes me back to what quality sex education, how much could, how many people could not experience negative things if we did a better yeah. job of educating. It's also nobody our- wants to talk about the things going on in those communities because those communities are already so um targeted. Um and so it's like when the Jesse Smollett's of the world happen, it's like, oh well then all all of them are liars and all gay people are bad and all gay people are molesters and stuff. And it's like, no, you need a more rounded view of what a person is. There are gay people that commit sexual assault there are straight people that commit sexual assault there are women there are men that do it there you know like there are people of all different types who can be really bad or really good and it needs to be a judgment on the action not on the group yeah and you know again I think that this idea of like alcohol or substances Mm. you know there's a likelihood that a lot of people are committing a lot of assaults. They just don't remember it. Oh yeah. And, and like, so, so, and I'm not, to, and I don't, cause like they just kind of changed some laws in New York. Um, I don't want to say that just because you have a drink, you can't consent. Mm. I don't want to say if you had a bottle of wine, you, you, you can't consent. But my, my, when I work with young people, I always err on the side of, if you can't walk, if your speech is slurred, or if you might, I don't know, vomit all the last shots you've had on mm-hmm. a penis uh, with a blowjob, you probably shouldn't be given a blowjob because you're probably not all the way yeah, able to give And if you're one of those guys that you're like, they've had enough drinks, tried to take them home. I, I couldn't tell you the number of friends who are like, girl, I'm about to meet up with my ex for drinks. We're going to see if we can rekindle. And it's like, huh. So you're going to try to go meet for drinks, get intoxicated and hopefully make some bad decisions in the effort of rekindling a relationship that was probably not good and ended for good reason anyways. Mm-hmm. But that's totally normal. Go ahead, child. Do what Booze you and do. pheromones can rekindle anything. Honey, booze and a cactus could get me going if I drank <laughs> enough. See, this is why we say you don't really you, you can't really give consent if you're blackout drunk like that's not a thing and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman Mm -hmm. I was gonna say we had a friend in um college who we used to laugh about the fact that she slept with this guy while he was like blackout and we'd be like she raped him ha 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 you know like because it was like well a guy wouldn't get a boner if he wasn't into it and it's like that narrative is a so false B how disgusting are we for laughing about that um see right. like most people when something sexual is done to them will respond yeah. uh yeah that's how the body works that's how your body works and that that is a huge contributor to why people do feel so guilty after a sexual assault because it's like was it my fault if i liked it a little bit it's also important to say like part of uh you know when someone's being assaulted 
um, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze, but uh, something that can go into mm-hmm. freeze or what's called a tonic Im- immobility, which is sort of your body putting you in a state of sort of paralysis in order to deal with and protect yeah. you. What can also happen is that uh, you might just kind of go on autopilot and do a sexual act mm. just to get it over with in order to protect yourself. And it's kind of mindless almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can create an immense yeah. amount of guilt because you're like, okay, well, I had to do something, but it's like, still, no, it's not okay. You were still forced to do it. And it's really your body and your brain trying to protect you and get you out of there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, what we look at that as is that is your body's response to trauma. Exactly. Right. And just like you're saying, it's, it's your body trying to protect yourself um, because you are fearful of what may come if you don't do uh, what, what you've been tasked to do. Um, and again, we do not educate people enough to say no. I, you know, I always, the Aziz Azari situation, mm-hmm. um, people are like, he's a terrible person, you know, 86 him, he's mm-hmm. awful. And then real, that was really crappy journalism, how that came down, right? Yeah, I don't think that um, publication exists anymore. I don't either. Um, but <laughs> my problem with that was, I don't think he realized what he, and, and if you saw his stand-up, he kind of talked about like, he didn't know. And then mm. the young woman, while maybe she did not want to do that, I said, you can't blame either one of those. I'm not going to give him, Mm. I'm not absolving him. I'm not slut shaming and blaming her. I'm going to blame fucking society. Yeah. Because society has done a very piss poor job of teaching men to understand that no means no, and that you have to get it affirmative. Yes. And we've done an even worse job of giving women the language Mm -hmm. to know how to say, I don't like this. We've not taught women how to be sexually assertive, sexually assertive women, know what they want, know what they like, know how to articulate it, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of us who can do that at varying degrees, but that's a a recipe for disaster. Drinks, fame, one person, because we've we've taught men in Mm -hmm. heteronormative relationships, push a little more. Yeah, no doesn't mean no, no means try harder. Exactly. And for women, we've said, you know what? You need to act like you don't want it. So mm-hmm. it's like fuel for the fire. It, you know, it just kind of goes round and round. Yeah. No, there have been so many times that I, I like wanted to be the one making the move. And I was just like, no, I'll just keep I'll just keep waiting because you don't want to look like a slut, which is like, I, I am don't. a slut and I like being a slut. How dare? I mean, if you want to call me a slut, well, then it is what it is. <laughs> uh you know, I just feel like probably my mom, get yours and get out. Like, I'm <laughs> going to tell you what I want. I'm going to explore what I want. I'm going to talk to you. But I've gotten a lot better at articulating mm-hmm. what I want. It was interesting because, you know, your mom says, get yours first, get out. So that was like the sex talk. I didn't really start to understand sexuality on a deeper level and how it connected to me. Even after being sexually assaulted, it, it came working in a strip club. Mm. Like that's when I got the understanding of like my, there was a stripper who, you know, I danced with. She was a little bit older, a lot mm-hmm. of bit older, in her thirties. And I was like 19. Um, and she was kind of like my stripper mom. She kind of mm-hmm. looked out for me and um, a couple other uh, dancers who were older. Um, and this is in Indiana off a of freeway. So you can only imagine a lot of truckers. And so 
I went to get a cheeseburger outside because, you know, they have the best food at strip clubs. Mm-hmm. I think it's the booty juice. Yeah. So I got, the, <laughs> I got the cheeseburger and I'm standing out there and I saw another dancer go into a car with a gentleman, uh-huh. a guest, and perform a sex act. And I went back in and naive me at 19 went to immediately my house, my like stripper mom was like, girl, you know what? We'll call her name Sally. You know what Sally's out there doing? Sally out there sucking that dick. And this woman grabbed me up by the arm so quickly and Mm -hmm. pulled me into a corner. And she said, how dare you? How dare you judge another woman on what she does with her body? That Mm -hmm. is her body. It is her choice. And she has a family to feed. Mm -hmm. That's not your business. And that was when it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Your body is your choice. And we never do My- that to guys. And and even if the ones that we do slut shame, that it's like, that's a man whore, shut up. Like, let, the, let people fuck who they want to fuck. Let people make money with their bodies if they want to. That is their yep. body that is allowed to. If you have a problem with it, it's probably because you're not making enough money with your body that you want to make. You know what I mean? Like if or you're not having enough comes, I don't know. Or you're not coming enough. Yeah. I think this idea of purity is, 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 is silly. And it, 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 there's just no room for it as we move forward and evolve as a society. It's so detrimental. If we were more involved with ethical purity than sexual purity, we would be such a better place to live. Exactly. If what I do in my bedroom doesn't impact your wallet, quite frankly, stay out of my fucking bedroom. And uh-huh. my uterus for that matter. Yeah. No, I um, I want to, do you have a hard out? Cause I have like three more questions. Go ahead. You're good. Okay. So you were mentioning that your mom is a white lesbian and you guys are, constantly fighting about stuff. I was wondering about what those arguments sound like. The conversations that we have usually have something to do with race Mm -hmm. because I love my mother. I love her very much. She has made me this kind of tenacious, bold. I mean, I was marching at Mm -hmm. five for gay rights. That's amazing. On the, doing all these things. Well, everybody got to go to Camp Onawanapia I got to go to feminist camp because my mom sat Mm -hmm. on the board of directors of an org and that's where I was learning how to astro travel and deep breathing and check into your chakras and drinking Boku and listening to (laughs) Yanni and shit. And anyway, so so oftentimes I'll never forget. I have to tell this story because it's funny. When I was about six um, at this thing, it was the Indiana the Indiana Women's Arts and Music Festival. That was where we would spend like two weeks. It was a huge convention. Basically Lilith mm-hmm. Fair, before Lilith Fair, and meet a feminist convention where people talk about sexuality. We go into this like main, you know, like they have like all the vendors and all this. And there was a class going on and there was a woman butt naked mm-hmm. laying on the floor breathing. I'm like, I had to be maybe five, six, maybe seven. And I'm like, ma, what the hell? Is she doing? I probably didn't say hell, but she was like, she is making herself orgasm through breath work. (laughs) And it was just kind of like this real hippity dippity stuff. So my mom thought she was like really woke. And it's ironic that we would talk about this because ever since this George, well, first it started with Buttigieg in January. For some reason, my mom seems to think because she has a black child, Mm. she cannot be racist. And I, Talk about it. Please talk about it. I had to be like, listen, white woman, you saying that very statement is racist as fuck. Yeah. And 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 
she's working on it, like actively working on it. But she had had, she had been indoctrinated to believe like women's rights are fighting for all women's rights. So mm-hmm. you, I had to really help her like, let's reel it back because the women's rights that you got in the seventies, that you were screaming wokeness in the seventies and eighties, y'all was fighting for equal pay. Mm-hmm. Black women still couldn't get jobs. Yeah, Latina women still couldn't get actual jobs. Y'all were trying to take over the boardroom, which is great. But your feminism at the time did not include food insecurity. Mm. It didn't include housing because you were a privileged class of feminists. Mm-hmm. Right? So usually we go back and forth with that. Um, and then also, you know, and we had this conversation just the other day. I think a part of the reason why a lot of white allies um end up not or people who think they're a white allies uh end up not being allies is because when they really really start looking at the truth it becomes so traumatic to them that they are a part of a people who would do such diabolical things mm-hmm. to other people that instead of being like well holy fuck this is not me, but I have to accept that I bet I still benefit from this crappy, crappy shit we've done yeah. for hundreds of years. I'm just going to put my head back down in the sand because this too much, honey, this, this too, just like my therapist, this too much. Mm-hmm. And then they lean on that white fragility of like, oh, but you know, I paid some money or I have a black kid or mm-hmm. eh, that's not enough. You know, we're not looking for allies. We're looking for fucking accomplices. Yeah. Right? There's a difference. Yeah. So that's usually what the fights are about. But we love each other. And and I love my mom. And it's so funny because she gets so mad at me. Why are you doing this? Why are you coming down on me? And I just look at her and I say, who taught me this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, fight might not be the same. You had the same tenacity when you were fighting for gay rights, fighting for women's rights. I'm just layering it. Now you got to fight for black rights. You got to fight for black lives. Yeah. And so that's, it's like, you taught me to be like this. You literally, and sometimes she would say, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? Mm -hmm. So whenever we get in a fight, she was like, you're coming down on me. And I just respond with, if not me, then who? Mm -hmm. And if not now, then when? And then she like, is like, because she knows. She she created this monster of a daughter that she loves and is so proud of. Yeah, she says. and she, and you're gonna teach her shit too, and she's gonna be like, ah oh, man. <laughs> but then she'll yeah. be thankful for it. No, I I do. I've had a lot of people that I've even suggested watching White Fragility too. Not even don't even read the book. Just watch uh, Robin D'Angelo's talk or whatever. And I've had them go. White fragility. I have so many black friends. You can't say this to me screaming in my face. I'm an ally. And I go, if your first reaction is to scream in someone's face and say, I'm an ally or say, I have a black friend. I have a black daughter. I have a black, you know, whatever. It's like you're taking ownership of that person again. And it's not taking ownership of what have I done that has helped this system progress? I think about all the shit I've sat around for and silently just been like, Mm. you know yeah I I I just want to cut in and say I appreciate that you said system Mm -hmm. right because that separates it from a person because when you say what have you done to impact the system when they start saying because I've been that black friend and let me tell you it's shitty yeah it's shitty like 
people you've been friends with. I actually had to bail on somebody. I was, I bailed on a friend at the last minute for her wedding, Mm. but there was just this consistent theme that was like, I am your token. And it's been that way for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we talk now and I'm about to send her, uh, eloquent rage by Brittany Cooper. Cause I know she's a reader. Um, so she can kind of understand what the experience is like, but the fact that you said system, that, that is the most important part. Cause you can't just look and say, well, I have a black friend and I help them all the time. Yeah. Well, that's probably out of pity or out of some sort of white, weird subconscious. Also, what about the people that you don't know? Uh-oh. And I would hope that you were nice to your friends. You would hope you were nice to your friends. Exactly. But yeah, it's a greater because you might not know their cousin that just got put away for 15 years on a third pot charge mm-hmm. while y'all over here smoking and choking it up. Mm-hmm. So it is, I do really value that you said the system and we don't need allies. We need accomplices. Yeah, no, there's I, I always I speak in memes now because I've just seen them saying better than I could say. And one of them was like. Don't get it confused why I feel oppressed. It's not my skin color that's oppressing me. It's the system surrounding my skin color that's oppressing me. And like, you can't change my skin color, but you can change the system. You can change or yeah, be an accomplice. Yep. Yep. Get in trouble doing. What's that? That quote, that Lewis quote, get in trouble doing good stuff. Good in trouble. Good good, Good in trouble. trouble. Yeah. 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 Um, and I appreciate you for getting into all of this good trouble. I was just going to ask, what are some actionable items for our listeners? Because I know a lot of them have been, uh, getting quote unquote ally fatigue, um, because they've been inundated with all of this information and it's too much. And so it's like, I'm gonna, I'd rather give up than keep going. Um, that's what I was talking about. That head in the sand. Like I am exhausted. And guess what? Yeah. Ally fatigue. Yeah. What? What? Listen, ally fatigue. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> and I have to go. I have a hard out. Gone with it, but, child. <laughs> ally fatigue. Get out of my face. I'm sorry. Like, okay, how about the fatigue of like being like black in America your whole life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have a choice. Like you're tired, you have to keep pushing. And, and like Michelle said earlier, it's it's your it's it's a way of burying your head in the sand. It's like, okay, I really want to be in this fight, but I'm kind of tired right now, and I, I don't want to do the work. And it, there's also a lot of expectation. You know, I have a lot of friends asking me like, what should I read? Where should I go? What should I do? I'm like, um, I have to educate mm-hmm. myself on all of this stuff. Yep. You know. Um, yes. Usually I would say do your own fucking work, but because we have Michelle course. here, we are going to ask for actionable of items. I just, I had a very visceral reaction to like that term. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, and it's okay to have that visceral reaction. So that's, and that being said, I can also understand why there is allies who are like, I am fatigued. I can't take this because we have burst the bubble on their whole entire reality. As people, as black mm-hmm. people, we grew up knowing this shit wasn't for us. We, we grew up, we've been told yeah. your whole, first time I was called a nigger, I was four years old on a playground Ugh. by another little kid who said, we don't allow niggers on this playground. And I was just like, you want to play guys? And he was like, we don't allow niggers on this playground. And I was like, what? I should run away. And I did. Um, so like, 
this has been happening for us um, since childhood, mm -hmm. small childhood. I've done some trainings, um, like racial trainings, and, and it's interesting because white people, one of the questions that's asked is, when is the first time you had to really understand that race mattered? Mm. And a lot of times their stories, they're in college, they're in um, a workspace, they're like, Oh, well, they drink it. Yeah. They drink it legally. And like for me, four years old. Mm -hmm. So it's so again, it's like that skin, you know, my spirit animal is a honey badger because a honey badger don't give a fuck. Yeah. OK. And, you, and and I think that this white fatigue, while I'm not letting anybody off the hook, just like I won't let Aziz Ansar off the hook. We have to look at this as a societal issue. Mm. We have burst the bubble. It, it's about goddamn time. And it is tough. So here's my advice. Turn off your fucking television and stop looking at Twitter and the Instagrams for like 48 hours. You cannot process what you need to process to grow if you are continually inundating yourself. But I didn't say put your head in the sand for good to process. Mm -hmm. I said give yourself 24 to 48 hours. Cry, pout, boohoo, journal, masturbate to feel better, and then repeat that fucking cycle. Yeah. That's one. Two. Um, be kind to your friends who are people of color, not just black people, because while, and I'm going to say this, this summer has been like black lives matter spirit summer camp, which that's a whole other conversation because we're already seeing the momentum being lost. Mm. Okay. So, um, you have to go back and challenge yourself to have tough conversations in every space, at the bar, with strangers, someone on the bus, mm -hmm. right? But go in armed with knowledge, okay? Just not the way that Starbucks was trying to do it. Oh yeah, no, I, no, I mean like- <laughs> I mean like- With your friends. If somebody is saying something, like, and I, I don't mean to shift this, but I, I'm, friends with a lot of people who still say that stuff is gay and is it exhausting for me every single time they do it to go uh 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 is it exhausting every time somebody goes what gender do you think that person is you know or anything where they go any little racism if it's exhausting to you to call it out that means you still have to do it because there are other people who have been exhausted this long who had to live in the body where they don't even want to defend themselves because then they become the defensive gay guy or the defensive black woman or you know what I mean like it's it's a a white person's racism is a white person's problem totally but here's the other thing we're it's, doing it yeah you were but see here's the thing some of you don't even know you're doing it right yeah. um because you were just born into it like like mm -hmm. As I was born into my black skin, you were born into your racism. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I need you to do, I need you to stop telling people you're not fucking racist. You are, period, full stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Except that, you know, maybe take another 12 to 24 hours, cry about it, journal about it, scream about Masturbate. it. Masturbate. Yes, and, and repeat the cycle. <laughs> so once, yeah. you can, once you can accept... Okay, I was born a racist, literally because the color of my skin gives me privilege. There is a disgusting history. Then you say, 
So how do I dismantle that history? What is one, like try to find one thing per quarter. I know that seems, I'm just trying to, I'm setting the bar low for people, right? Low. One thing per quarter that could be substantial. And that's not writing a check. Mm -hmm. Although you need to pay black people. You need to pay people of color, especially black women. But what I'm saying is go to that school board meeting. Ask the, if you, I don't even care if you have kids. If you have a high school in your neighborhood, call the principal and say, what are your graduation rates? Or go online and find out what the demographic is, what their graduation rates are. And then if you don't get the answer you want, you go to that school board meeting and you say, why are these graduation rates looking like this? Why is there so much disproportion? Here's another thing. You really want to fight for black lives? You really want to be able to feel good about hashtagging Black Lives Matter? Take your ass with all the energy you done marched with and hashtagged and retweeted with. Take your ass to your local police community board meeting, which happens every month in every fucking precinct across the nation. And you ask them, what are your policing policies around around, uh, race? Yeah. we have, I love people showing up, but that you could do that every month. If you really want to commit to this work every fucking month, go to your local precincts, police, community meetings, and you listen and you sit there and you know, wear a Black Lives Matter t shirt. Yeah. And just sit there, know everybody's name, know everybody's badge number, mm-hmm. and educate yourself and then vote. I think those are simple things. Do I get approval from all parties here? I want to make sure I'm making, I'm, I want to make sure I'm hitting up yep. at all, all places. Cause I just, I think like yep. saying, oh, read a book, oh, this, oh, that. Well, that's all good and well. That's some shit you do at your house. It's, we're far right. past that. We, you out of college, take your ass to that community board meeting, take your ass to the city council meeting, join the NAACP. You ain't got to be black yeah. to do that. Take some fucking news. Log on to the, you know, I just went to a meeting last week on the phone. They have virtual town halls. And I listened to Mitt Romney, who to thunk, talk about what we need to do to create a more equitable space for all people. And that's another thing is like, not that like, it's like, oh, Mitt Romney. But like when people see you speaking out for what you believe in, if they are like you, And maybe they had their head down the whole time and they wanted to say, hey, isn't it fucked up that I've been doing cocaine all of high school, but if a black person does that once they're in jail, like if you've been having that thought and you just haven't said it, it's kind of helpful to see other people saying those things and going, you're not insane. You're not like a bad person for wanting rights for other people. Um, You're a good person. Yep. You know, if if you live in an area or if you're in a town next to a town, because you know, everything is segregated and the, the like Harlem was a food desert. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you are a a accomplice, I'm going to say accomplice, if you're trying to be an accomplice, you show up to the zoning meetings (laughs) as Mm -hmm. somebody that lives in the area, you have the right to be like, wait a minute, we need a grocery store and y'all want to put in a hookah slash liquor store. Mm -hmm. Nah, I'm going to go that. So I think that's kind if of if you're in real estate, every every fucking like uh what's the word job 
job thing. Everything has some kind of racism, sexism embedded in it. Anything that you're working in, you can work towards making that thing better. I love it. I love what you're saying. If you're in HR, find a way to create opportunities or encourage. How are we expanding our reach to Mm -hmm. hire black trans women, Mm -hmm. black trans men? What are our recruiting processes that might allow for people to know this job is available and yeah. they may have the skills. I think it's shit like that. Um, ask your H if you don't work in HR, ask your HR, how are we recruiting and how are we reaching out to marginalized communities? I tell you what, right now, I'm not going to lie to you because I am looking for a job currently mm-hmm. the amount of African American or diversity, this diversity and inclusion is bullshit. We shouldn't mm-hmm. have to have diversity and inclusion. There should be diverse and inclusive practices yes. that automatically have diverse people in mm-hmm. places of leadership. If you are a comedian and you are looking at comedy show lineups and there is only one black person on the lineup or there is only one woman because they are the diversity hire reach out, say, why is that show booked like that? If you are booking shows, you'll notice like on this podcast, we had a little moment that we were like, we're not booking all the right people. Like we need to book better people and you can make that shift and nobody should be able to say, you learned good. Yeah. Because we need to hear, I think the thing is, it's not just black voices. It's all people of color voices. While right now, this is why I'm saying, like, yes, we need to hear all voices. But this is the key. If you go and you fight for the most marginalized community, the most disenfranchised community, what should happen is all the other stuff should start to fix itself. Because if you start with the, the, the community that's struggling the most, you will inevitably help all the communities that are above them. So we're all helping black trans women after this. Yes. Everyone's donating yes. for the girls. Um, yes. And the Great Oprah work. Project. Yes. Follow Queen under Q-W-E-E-N underscore Jean. She's a black trans activist I work with out here in New York. Incredible, amazing mm-hmm. Um her, her craft is a, as a designer stylist. If if mm-hmm. you know somebody that needs work uh, for a shoot in New York, holler at her. I mean, that's the work. Creating yeah. opportunities for people to access freedom, money, uh, reproductive rights, like it all economic um, mm-hmm. empowerment. And inviting other people into a space that is primarily like your safe space or whatever is a great thing to do. Like I'm, I'm specifically thinking of these like very white male podcast networks or whatever that they're like, we're not racist. We're not in a, I'm like, okay, cool. Hire a black producer. See how they respond to the things you say on a daily basis. Again, I'm going to stop you right there and thank you very much for saying a producer and not a creative Mm. person. Cause we ain't just out here to sing and dance and make you laugh and hoot and holla. We produce, yeah. we write, mm-hmm. we ideate, and we have a lot to give because our lives have been so enriched with experiences based on mm-hmm. the trauma that you as white people don't see through, you see it through a rosy colored lens where you can make all these excuses. Yeah. 
we live with all of the entrapments that inhibit us from moving forward. So, so I think that like just recognizing that, and again, I just want to go back to vote, 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 vote black, vote, and by, yeah. And when I say vote black, that's not just black candidates because black people there are mm-hmm. some out there. We're not gonna talk about them, but that are not on our side. Okay. And so when mm-hmm. I say vote black, but like we were saying, there are bad black. There's bl- bad everyone. Yes, there are bad. So support the good ones. Yes, there are bad actors in every space. When I say vote black. Vote for people who are fighting for justice for black people, right? And, and especially those who are fighting 100%. for justice for black trans folk. Because again, that's that mm-hmm. most marginalized. And then I think finally, educate yourself to massage noir and um, intersectionality, yeah. which was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah. And we're not even going to do that for you. You're going to have to go do that yourselves, you guys. Um, Michelle, it has been so much so much learning, so much fun uh, to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Where can everybody follow you online? So follow me on Instagram. I do weekly lives. Uh, I also am moving into mm-hmm. a space where I'm teaching online classes um, to really help unpack mm-hmm. all the things we talked about. So we, I, I just recently did a class and I'll do it again um, before probably probably before October. And it was uh, the history of reproductive oppression in America. And what I do is I walk you through Mm -hmm. the experience of black and brown women and how the United States through reproductive um, health has really exploited uh, black and brown bodies. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Then you look at what we what we did to Puerto Ricans in the 70s to test birth control so we can all have mm-hmm. this great birth control. Um, so I go through all of these examples and we talk about like how these have impacted and kind of layered on top of each other to create like just some really terrible, terrible instances for black women and brown women. Well, we're going to have to attend one of yeah. those. Oh, at, at um, I forgot because... to say it. You got me all riled up over here. Oh, sorry. Great. <laughs> at MH Sexpert, yep. you guys. Um, yeah, no, but that's something I had just found out about the testing on black women's bodies just so that it's like, oh, we can have birth control and stuff. And you don't see, you don't see the bodies who have died for our just like current reality. Yeah. Like the speculum. Um, speculum. Yep. First one was a fork. Oh, yeah. it's disgusting. All those gynecological tools that was. Yeah. And those are some of the things that can contribute to ally fatigue. But if you learn something that upsets you, take a break, take it in. Talk to a bunch of people, get offline, masturbate, recharge, and then learn yeah. something new. Um, it's been so, so great having you. I just have to ask this to everybody after a sexual experience, which this has kind of been. Um, Michelle, did you finish? Honey, I go toe to toe again and again, back to back to back. This ain't never finished for me. <laughs> I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep winning and I'm going to keep striving until we make real systemic change in these spaces. Amazing. Ugh. Charge them batteries. That just made me come. Yeah. Yay. That was exciting. Gabrielle, did you finish? Quite a few times. Wait, still not done. Still yeah. not done. Got to keep it pushing. Yeah, I'm I'm still not done. I'm, I'm going for multiples. Um, Thank you for coming. You like that? Yes. and we'll see you next time on how come goodbye bye it's not you it's me i 
try so hard to finish honestly They say you'll know When you go all the way from A right down to O Oh no I think that I still got a ways to go Oh oh I'm sick of this and I have got to know How come? How come? I can't achieve How come I can't achieve I'm rolling up my sleeves I'm rolling up my sleeves Oh baby I believe These guests can help Cause I can't do it by myself I wanna just 